Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is Sunday, August 16th. Boy, we're getting closer and closer to the end of the summer. It went by really fast this year, and I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss my pool. But you know what? Hopefully we'll all be alive and we'll be back here again next year. All right, we've got a great show for everybody tonight. Nige Rocket from Onslaught. John Grove from Wintercat. Right there, a little merciful fate. That reunion, I guess, was postponed like every other musical event this year. We'll see if they do it again next year. And maybe they can get a few more of the original members uh, back into that lineup. All right, let's keep the music flowing right here. How about we head up to Chicago, a little enforcer, fate worse than death.
right. A little Gary Moore from 1983, Victims of the Future. I know Gary dabbled mostly in the blues field, but when this record came out, he went more in the hard rock vein. I mean, it was 83, and the sound was taken off, doing the yardbird shapes of things. That was a song that got me into this album, and you know, Gary Moore. Before that, I really wasn't into the blues thing, and I really didn't follow much of him after this record. I think We Want More came out after this, and there was another record. And then he got more back into the blues again. You know, I guess the the, the hard rock metal thing kind of faded out. But all the great people that played on this album, besides Gary Moore, who's not with us no more, Neil Carter, Neil Murray, Bob Daisley, Ian Pace, Moody Holder did some backing vocals on that song. Just a great bunch of people playing with them. I know Craig Gruber was in the live band around this time when they were out performing live. A lot of these guys are no longer with us anymore. Another man not with us anymore, Pete Way, passed away this week. I didn't know that he was even in a car accident. Uh, they said he died from complications from a car accident uh, from about two months ago. I had no idea he was even in a car accident. I know he's had a lot of medical issues over the years. A lot of different things have popped up. And, you know, he did drugs for 30 years, I mean, drugs and alcohol. And he said he has no regrets and he wouldn't change anything he did in the past. It made him who he was. But I guess, you know, with the weakened body and age, he just couldn't survive the accident. An amazing bass player in a lot of great bands. Started Fastway with Fast Eddie Clark. Everybody knows UFO. He, I think he had already recorded a record for the Pete Wade band, which I'm guessing is going to come out probably real soon, and then Wasted. Let's play a little Wasted right now. Love Loaded. <laughs>
No right with Hellbent. I was been looking for Nicole Lee for years. Can't find her. We've had other members of the band on the show, and uh, it was great talking to them. You know, we're down to our last five live shows, and then that'll be it. There won't be any more live program on a Sunday night. But I'm still going to continue to interview bands when they're promoting records or they come through town. And we'll have those all pre-recorded and, you know, uh, put up on the website. Uh, I'm working on that right now. I might just put them on Facebook and then put them on my uh, .com. I don't know how I'm going to work it out yet, but we're going to take a little time off after the show ends on September 20th, and we'll come back to do, like I said, pre-recorded interviews uh, and just play a couple of songs off that band's record that they're promoting. No more live program. And it was getting to be too time-consuming. Plus, everybody and their mother has a radio show now. Twelve years ago when I started this, there's only a couple of them out there, internet radio shows, especially ones doing classic 80s metal. Now everybody seems to have a show. Every musician that's not out there performing live or, you know, because they can't all have their own radio shows right now. So I don't think it'd be a great loss, but I will miss doing it, I think. Uh, there are weeks where I just don't want to come and do the show, and then there are weeks like, you know what, I wish I was still going to keep doing it. But the word has been said. The show is coming to an end on September 20th. So that will be that. All right, I was uh, just looking at I just saw Frankie Benali from uh, Quiet Riot had a stroke a few weeks ago. He's been battling cancer for the last few years, and we'll get more into that a little later on. But right now, we have John on the phone from Winter Cat. Let's connect him, get this interview going. John, this is Mike. Hey. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Mike. How, How are you doing, doing, man? I'm doing great, man. How are you tonight? You know, I'm uh, feeling pretty good. I just, uh, can you hear me okay? You're coming to a perfect now. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm outside by my, by the pool. I just got through cleaning the pool and hanging out and just enjoying the day. Um, I'm in uh, te- Texas coast. It's a little warm. Who's better than you? Pardon me? I said, who's better than you hanging out by the pool on a Sunday afternoon? Oh, well... It's hot here so in Texas, so I'm sure there's plenty of people hanging out by their pool or the beach and doing something like that today. But, but it's a beautiful day. Uh, it sure is. We've had a great summer so far weather-wise, you know, even here in New York. But I'm really happy because last year, you know, the struggle came out all over again. For people that weren't around in the mid to late 80s that didn't get a copy of that record, uh, they were able to buy a copy now. So, I mean, that was a beautiful thing. How'd that all come about? Well, um, God, we're so excited about it, uh, Mike. Uh, you know, uh, Dave Tedder and Kai Brox, you know, they, they contacted us just out of the blue and said, hey, you know, uh, would you be interested in re-releasing The Struggle? And, you know, I was – in over the couple of months of that time frame, I was thinking about it, you know, like, God, so many people have asked me if we're ever going to be able to get this on a digital, because, you know, it was only on vinyl and cassette, right? So, um, yeah. and sure, some, so, some people would, you know, put some stuff up on the internet with, you know, with good turntables and stuff like that, but it's not the same as actually going in and remastering it properly. So um, I said, yeah, we'd love to do it. God, thank you so much for, you know, uh, your interest. So, we went into the studio with tapes that hadn't been spun in 25 years uh, with a mastering engineer named R.B. Blackstone, who is uh, pretty big around Austin, San Antonio, Central, you know, Texas. And, uh, is, you know, he baked the tapes in an oven. And uh, do you know about that process? Um, yeah, that's what you have to do with the old reel-to-reels. 
Yeah, yeah. So he ba- he knew what he was doing. He'd done it before, and so that's why we hired him. And he baked the tapes in the oven in Austin, Texas, in a recording studio that had a special oven. And then, uh, you know, we rolled it onto uh, Pro Tools. So it went from the original analog masters to Pro Tools. And um, then he was able to really, you know, do some nice EQ and compression and some modern stuff that we didn't have back then. And, um, you know, the most exciting part for me, uh, Mike, was that I got to put like five tracks in there that were never released that would have been the third Winter Cat record. And um, so that's like the first five songs, the more heavy tunes. That would That's where Winter Cat was going. Um, so that, you know, that those tracks would have been on our third record, but which never happened. But so it was so uh, we were so happy to get that get that out. And, you know, he was able to master it all together and get a continuity in the sound of it all. So, yeah, it's exciting, you know. It really is. You know, there's a whole new generation of kids out there. I mean, besides people like us that grew up in the 70s and 80s with this music and buying it, I mean, there's a whole new generation of kids out there that are getting so into the music from back then, you know, that they're discovering all these bands that were around that they didn't even know about. And this gives them an opportunity to hear, you know, a little slice of what was going on. And, you know, I think about Texas and in the 80s, it was such an amazing scene to me. I mean, everybody talks about California, and everybody talks about New York, and all the bands were coming out of there, but Texas had a thriving, you know, rock and metal scene going on back then. Big time. Big time thriving scene. I, You know, I know, like, almost all the guys from the scene. You know, we all know each other. Um, you know, the Don Van Stavern from Slayer and Riot, and uh, Bobby Jar Zombeck, uh, who's with Sebastian Bach now, uh, I mean, we all used to record together, you know, um, Scott Womack, uh, you know, just even, uh, you know, Jason McMaster from Dangerous Toys. Um, so many bands came out of South Texas in that time. And uh, so you're, you're, you, you hit the nail on the head there. There's actually a, an exhibit in uh, the Texas Insti- the Institute of Texas Cultures in downtown San Antonio, an exhibit on Texas metal from the 80s. They, they just put that in there about two years ago. Wow, that must be cool. That must be a great thing. I have to check that out the next time I get down to Texas. Was it a competitive scene back then? I mean, was there a lot of competition, or did everybody kind of you know, work together to further each band along and the scene in general? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of us, you know, recorded on each other's records and tapes. And, you know, even though we were in our dedicated bands, we wrote songs together on the side. Some of us, you know, like some of the guys in me that I just mentioned that were never in my band. You know what I mean? We, you know, yeah, we definitely, uh, you know, collaborated together and stuff. And, you know, the clubs, uh, there was a great uh, live music scene. Uh, in Austin, San Antonio, Houston, Dallas. So we would just, you know, we would play, we would travel around Texas playing all those places. And, um, you know, the uh, the radio stations in San Antonio, like 99.5 KISS, uh, which was the big rock station, um, you know, they, they sponsored actually my first recording that really got me kind of off the ground. Uh, I was still in high school and I was in a band called Liquid Sky. And we had a track called Cry for the King that uh, you can find on the Internet. And um, that was before Winter Cat. Um, 
but that was, you know, basically uh, the major rock station supporting local talent and, uh, you know, funding us to go into a recording studio. And then they, and then they had a compilation record, you know, 99.5 Kiss. They called it the Homegrown Album. And uh, so, yeah, there was a lot of camaraderie and stuff around around that scene. Did, did Wintercat form out of the ashes from Liquid Sky, or was there something completely different? It kind of did. It kind of uh, the bass player Chris Watkins and I um, formed uh, the first Winter Cat lineup with uh, some other guys, uh, Rick Swanson, uh, Tim Saunders, and we made uh, what was the first Winter Cat record on vinyl. And um, you know, Chris and I went were in Liquid Sky, so yeah, we kind of did form that out of the ashes, and and. Uh, we did that when Steve Cooper, our singer from uh, Liquid Sky, he went to Slayer. So he left and went to Slayer. He wanted to do more hardcore metal. And, and me and Chris, we were looking to do more progressive rock metal. And so we kind of parted ways on good terms at that time. And um, that's kind of how it happened. That's so you know about Slayer, right? So Steve Cooper and yeah. I were, were, were basically Liquid Sky. And so he was. He ended up being the lead singer in Slayer, and then Chris Watkins and I formed Winter Cat. So after the first Winter Cat record, um, the other guys in the band wanted to pursue a more commercial, radio-friendly uh, pop music kind of thing. They were a little discouraged because you know progressive rock rock was a little more obscure, right? So forge on with progressive rock. So at that point, those guys formed another band. And I went on and uh, for, put together a lineup for the second Winter Cat record with basically the guys from Hayoka. I don't know if you're familiar with Hayoka. Yeah. But they were a big, big, big South Texas uh, progressive hard rock band, you know, uh, like at the caliber of like Oz Kanaz. And uh, I think they even had an MTV video at one point. But uh, so the lead singer from Hayoka and I, started writing and uh the, an investor put us up in a studio in Dallas, Texas, Crystal Clear Sound, and we started working on the the uh basic tracks for the struggle. And that was in like 1985, end of 1985, I think. And uh so Mike was formerly the lead singer of Hayoka, Michael uh Michael Growth use. And uh so that's how we kind of formed that. And um, that's how we ended up with two drummers, you know, because I had my drummer. And then when we got serious, me and Michael in the studio, he's like, well, I don't want to just leave my Hayoka guys behind. And I said, well, let's just put it all together. And so that's what we did. And uh, it's funny, the two drummers both could play keyboards. They both knew how to play piano. So they switched <laughs> off on drums they switched off on drums and keyboards and got along that way, you know. Um, Marcus Steven and Gerardo Ramirez, both very, you know, multi-talented guys and uh, very schooled musicians, you know, kind of how it happened. And then Dean Viasio, the bass player, he had come from uh, the last lineup of Hayoka. And um, it, 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 at a certain point, Marcus Steven bowed out. And so then Gerardo went full-time on the drums like he always had been with Hayoka. And uh, we brought in Paul Farrell, a very talented keyboard player. And uh, 
so that's how it kind of evolved. So the struggle is all those guys I just mentioned. And so you've got Marcus Steven playing half the drums, Gerardo Ramirez playing half the drums. And, 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 you know, they were also, and then eventually Paul Farrell was on some of the tracks playing keyboards, but that ended up being the main, the, the, the permanent lineup was, uh, Gerardo Ramirez on drums, Paul Farrell on keyboards, Dean Viasia on bass, Michael Grothews, the lead singer, and and myself, you know, playing all the guitars. So yeah. that's that's anyway. I'm being that's a little a long-winded here. <laughs> no, 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 no. I love it. But th- that was around '85, '86, I guess, and the album came out about a year or so later. That's right. That's right. And then um, we were selling it. Our manager made a trip to England and he took a bunch of vinyl copies with them and he just tossed them around. And the next thing you know, we've got a review in Kerrang magazine, metal hammer, Ard shock, uh, you know, metal forces, all those, um, old standby, you know, metal and hard rock magazines in Western Europe. And, um, then people are starting to order mail order from us. Right. So we were selling them the, the records in the mail to Western Europe, you know. Uh, and at that point, after doing that for a little while, um, important records out of New York, Hollis, New York, important. They ended up becoming Relativity, if that yeah. rings a bell. Yeah. So important Relativity gave us a distribution deal after we sold a bunch of records on our own by mail order. And so that, then we added a couple of new tracks to the record that we had recorded and so that was the second version of the struggle. So this is actually the third version of the struggle uh, that got released on CD this last year with all of the tracks. And um, you know, really, you know, really grateful to Dave Tedder, you know, from dusting the cobwebs off of us and bringing it out. So and Kai Brock's also he had a he had a big hand in it. Did you think that people might have forgotten about the band as the years went on? You know, because the record came out, I mean, when it was on Important and Relativity, that was around 88, I believe, somewhere in that end. And, you know, there was such a change in scene. If you go back from, like, 1980, 81 to 89, I think the scene must have changed about a half a dozen times. We went from, you know, being rock and metal to speed metal and thrash. Then the hair metal came out. Then the more commercialized metal came out. It was progressive in the middle. Did the change in scene kind of throw the band off because... Maybe you couldn't find a place with everything changing so quickly. You know, it was definitely, uh, you know, things were definitely evolving in the in the uh, in the music at that time. If that's if that's what you mean, um, you know, we even went more a little more hard edge in what would have been our third record um, with the tracks that we added to the struggle. Um, it, I mean, is that kind of where you're where where? Is that is that what you mean? Well, well, there was definitely a change from the first album to the struggle. I mean, you know, and then the songs that we hear now that were added on, that would have been the third record, or even a change from what was recorded during the struggle. But was it hard for the band to find a place because you did kind of change your sound a couple of times as you were changing? The whole scene was changing in all different directions, also. Yes, I you know I think that we were kind of I think it was kind of I mean honestly I think it was a natural evolution of what that lineup was growing into as far as the difference in the first tracks to the 
to to the last tracks we did. I think it was I think it was naturally, you know, obviously if we were trying to be the flavor of the month, we wouldn't have been doing any of that music, right? So we would have yeah. been playing either hard, serious heavy metal, or we would have been playing you know more pop hard rock. So. Uh, I, I think I think it was the band's natural evolution of you know just the, the personalities in the band and and um, what we were what we were growing to into you know we still we still played like we still played all those tracks live. Um, as a matter of fact, there's some good live footage on YouTube that people have posted of us playing Light of Day, you know, which is one of our one of our uh, signature prog rock tracks. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that. You can see that on YouTube, um, like a live show, and uh, where um, Kiss Radio and, and a ca- local cable network in Texas came out with camera splitters and a truck, and they did that for us for free, which was cool. Um, but so we were still playing it all. We were still playing the prog rock tracks live, but we were also playing the hard rock tracks live. So it's just, you know, I. I I don't know if there's any rhyme or reason to it. It's, you know, it's just art. So, you know, sometimes you do something hard and sometimes you do something soft. I mean, that's about the only, the only yeah. way I can explain it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the band did go on for what, maybe two, three years after the album came out. I guess you kind of folded up sometime in the early 90s. Yeah, I regret that. You know, I think we all do. Um you know, it's hard, you know, but we were, we were together for a number of years and we traveled and we played a lot of shows and, um, you know, it's not that easy keeping bands together when bands are struggling. Right. Um, I ended up, um, moving out to California and to make a record with Rhett Forrester from Riot. Do you, you know, if, if you're familiar with him, um, Oh, everybody knows Rhett Forrester. Yeah, I was I I had recorded half a record with Rhett, you know, when he died. You know, we had a half the record in the can, um, and we were, you know, had formed a band together called Dirty Water, and he went home to visit his family in Atlanta. When we were halfway through, we had five tracks finished, and uh, you know that's when that happened. You know, he got, you know, I don't know. I guess he was in the wrong side of town, or. Yeah. So after that, um, oddly enough, Robin McCauley somehow had his hand, got his hands on that tape that Rhett and I were recording. And, and, uh, I, and I, and I heard about it. I, so when somebody told me, uh, said, Hey, you know, Robin McCauley heard this stuff and he really likes it. And I'm like, really? And, you know, Rhett had just died and I was trying to pick myself up a little bit, you know, cause Rhett was also my friend. Right. And, um, you know, I ran in, you know, coincidentally, I ran into Robin at, at the Rainbow in Hollywood on Thanksgiving, if you can believe that. I was wow. having, my Thanksgiving dinner, having my Thanksgiving dinner at the Rainbow, and so was he and his wife. And I was looking over at him, and he, he must have thought I was nuts because I kept looking at him. And then I just I got up, <laughs> and I went over and introduced myself to him, right? <laughs> and... uh I said, hi, I'm John Grell. How you doing? And, uh, you know, I heard that you, you heard one of my tapes and, uh, with, I was recording with Rep Forrester, our band Dirty Water. And he, and he was like, yeah. And so anyway, 
I ended up, re, you know, writing and recording with him and playing some shows with him for about a year or so. And after that, um, so, but yeah, that's what happened. I basically, I left Texas and went to California for a while. So that was kind of the end of winter cat when I, when I did that. Yeah. Well, with the Macaulay stuff, I know he, I know Robin had a, a one Macaulay solo record out in the late nineties. Uh, but did you guys ever record anything that, that saw the light of day? Or was any of that stuff on that record that came out years later? Um, you know, it's a good question because um, we had recorded uh, – we had written and recorded a bunch of stuff together. And he was trying to shop a deal with it, and he ended up um, – um, doing something with Frank Farian in Europe, uh, and it just didn't work out for me to continue to be involved with it. Um, so, you know, I just basically said, "Hey, you know, I'm going to keep my material and go my way." And, um, you know, it just it just didn't work out. That's about about all I can say about it. So. I formed my own band with some other people out in LA that were all from Texas and Louisiana right after that called mud pie and uh, mud pie got picked up and, and, and distributed in Europe by EMI. And it's completely different than anything winter cat ever did. It's Southern blues rock, but you know, I did grow up in Texas. So I do have that, you know, that, that blues stuff in me if I want to use it. So, Anyway, um, I don't know if you ever heard any of that, but um, that stuff that stuff you can find it online too. Yeah, I'm gonna That's check with, that. I heard uh, the name Mud Pie, but never heard the music because you know. But uh, you know, it, it's nice to have the kind of variety. But isn't it that way you can just go from one genre to another? You know, whatever kind of uh, tweaks your interest at the time. Well, I think, you know, to a certain extent, you know, you if you want to be playing and you want to be working, you know, you can't always do uh, stuff that's totally obscure, you know, if you want to, yeah. you know, actually have, you know. So it just seemed like um, everybody, I mean, like, like when I was recording with Rob McCauley, that's a prime example. I mean, he's a worldwide gold record rock star, right? And we... But we, you know, he was having a hard time getting a deal for the stuff we recorded because everybody was frowning upon the 80s rock right then at that moment. You know, the mid 90s, yeah. it was all the Seattle sound or or it was hip hop and rap. Right. So even though we had recorded some really nice tracks, um, it just we weren't really able to get it, get anybody to uh, motivated to to put it out, you know, so. Yeah, I figured I figured with Mud Pie, um, you know, Southern blues rock is kind of timeless. It's 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 never really the flavor of the day, but it's never really out either. You know, blues True. rock. You know, it's it's always it's always there. It's a constant, and so you know, I, I hooked up with all these guys that that uh, from Texas and Louisiana, and we made a, I, I think a really a really good blues rock record. You know, with the with the mud pie. So that's uh. Let's who else is in that band? Um, Kurt Meyer from Salty Dog is in that band. Uh, Keith Slack who sang on one of Michael Schenker's live records. So some good some good players. Um, but uh, 
so yeah, so that's the story of basically the end of Winter Cat was just me leaving Texas and going to California and doing some other stuff. Yeah. I gotta check some of the stuff out. When you know, it's about thirty years later, thirty something years later, what's the status of Winter Cat now? Is it is it something that you might look to put back together? Well, I can tell you this. I'm still holding on to some tracks that have never been heard by the industry. Um, so um, what's really exciting um, right now for me is that not only was it exciting last year to get the CD released and to actually get to go in and remaster it and add all those new tracks, um, but uh, now uh, Dave in uh, 20th Century Music, they've released it on the internet to all the download formats now. So it's not just on CD, it's on iTunes. So anybody can go on iTunes and uh, search for Winter Cat, The Struggle, and you can you can buy it on iTunes now. So to me, that's really exciting. That's kind of like, oh, wow, after all these years, Winter Cat is legitimate, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, that's kind of how it makes me feel. And, uh, and it, you know, it feels good. It feels good. It, it so. should, it's a great record, and I'm glad that a whole new audience is going to be able to, you know, discover it. And the old-timers like myself that remember it are going to get, like, an updated, remastered version of it. That's a beautiful thing. And I hope that you can put something together and maybe get out some of those older songs or even write new ones and put it out again. It would be phenomenal to keep hearing you guys, you know, putting out tunes today. Well, thank you. I mean, we'd love to, you know, and. So um, you never know. You never know what could happen. You know that's that's yeah. the magic of, of of the music and the and the and uh, you know making music. You just anything's possible, right? That's true. Hey, John, I'm gonna have to let you go in about a minute because I want to play a couple of songs off the record, and I have another guest waiting in the wings to come on the show. But it was a pleasure talking with you today. Hopefully, you'll be involved in something else again real soon that you want to talk about. And we'll get together and do this all over again. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Hey, it's my pleasure, John. The best of luck. Go enjoy your pool. Have a nice cold beer and enjoy the nice weather while it's still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man. All right, you take Rock care. Rock on. Take care, John. Bye-bye. All right, let's get on some Winter Cat right now. How about we start out with someone's call?
Diamond Rex with Ride. All right, right before that, Winter Cat. All right, we're going to get the nice Rocky from Onslaught in about 15 minutes. We'll play a couple of more tunes between now and then. There's not much going on in the world of metal right now because nobody's playing live. And, you know, outside of Sebastian Bach talking shit about everybody, nothing else much is really happening. But Venom, they released another compilation. There's quite a lot of Venom compilations out, you know. Uh, I think it's time for a new studio record. I actually thought the last one, uh, Storm the Gates, was pretty decent, you know, compared to uh, actually 100 Miles from Hell DP wasn't that bad, but with Fallen Angels, I didn't really care for from the very depths, but the last one wasn't that bad, Storm the Gates. But they put out a new compilation called Sons of Satan, Rare and Unreleased. It's mostly demos and uh, demo cuts and rehearsals and stuff like that. And most of the songs on here, at least I think the first three quarters of the record, Features uh, the original singer from the band uh, Who went by the name of Jesus Christ But his name is Clive Archer from back in the day He was with the band like from 79 to 80 So a lot of these tracks feature him on vocals So how about we play something off that album I'll play one or two more songs And then we'll talk to Nice Rocket Here's Raise the Dead
tonight, going old school with the honest blood, contract and blood. We spoke with Nige Rocket. Let's hear what he has to say. We'll play some songs off the new record right after the interview. Hello. Nige, this is Mike. How are you? Hi, Mike. I'm good, man. Thanks. And yourself? Uh, I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to have you on here today. And I have to tell you, man, you hit it out of the park with this album. I mean, I think it's one of your strongest albums ever. Thanks, man. That's, uh, I, I, I tend to agree with you, but I guess we all say that about our new albums. <laughs> hey, well, listen, I mean, I go back to the demo tape days with you guys in the very, very early 80s, 82, 83. Oh, so nice. I've listened to every album, everything you've recorded. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's onslaught, but it just seems like it's onslaught at the next level. Oh, thank you, man. That's um, very, very cool. And I'm sure I've got a few little stories to tell you. If you go back as far as the tape days, which should be uh, interesting. Oh yeah, I go way back to that first demo tape. Awesome, man. <laughs> some some of the riffs on this new album go back farther than that. <laughs> wow, really? You really went that far back in the yeah. catalog? Yeah, I've uh, used some stuff. Obviously, I've, I've sort of borrowed some stuff from the the first demos. Um, but there's the riff on the, I think it's the chorus of uh, Strike Fast, which is uh, one of the very early onslaught songs that never even got demoed. Uh, but the riff was cool, and it, I thought it just fit perfectly into that song there. So uh, I, I put it in there, and it sounds great. Wow! I mean, you held on to that for almost forty years. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it just it just appeared, and it, it sprang into my mind as well. I'm using that now, um, and it sounded so good. So yeah, it kind of shows shows how, how we went back to our roots on this record for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, the first album with Dave singing with the band. And I know Dave filled in for a show for Cy, I guess, a while back. And was that when you realized that maybe it was time to move on? Because, you know, Cy's a great vocalist. He was an amazing frontman. But you could see over the years that maybe his heart wasn't in it anymore, like we're going out and touring and playing live. And was that the final straw? Yeah, I, I, I think that, that that's when it finally hit home. You know, we, we obviously knew what was going on with Cy and his, um, um not really enjoying the tour and as such. And obviously then... It came that he was unavailable for the festival in Sweden in, in February. Um, so yeah, it, I guess it was that was the the inevitable part. And then um, when it, as soon as we got back from there, we, we spoke with Cy and, and we we decided that we should go our separate ways. Um, and luckily for us, I mean, it, Dave Dave was match fit, you know, he was ready to go. So, um, but fair play to him. And he had three weeks to to learn all the material for the album. But what a job he did. Really, I mean, you know, when the first show you guys did with him, were you concerned like maybe how it was going to go over live and how his voice would have fit? Because when you think about it, over you know over the course of all these years and albums, there've been a lot of different singers in the band besides Sly, and a lot of them have performed on albums. So you know, Steve Grimmett, there's been different people on there. So were you concerned about how he would fit in like over the whole catalog? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's 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 the major concern, really. I mean, uh, it's kind of, I guess changing drummers and guitarists or bassists is it's kind of okay because at the end of the day we all kind of use the same gear um pretty much for for playing this style of music so it's only then down to your your kind of technicalities but with a voice it's completely different it's very personal um and obviously side being side he was uh, massively popular with the fans and, and made all our best albums you know so it was a big it was a big um a worry, I would say, but it just turned out so well. I mean, we, we were just all I can say is lucky. It was um, Dave's been a friend for many years, and he's a massive onslaught fan anyway. 
So it, it was kind of like, um, it was just made for each other, you know. It was it was what meant to what was meant to be, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, it just fell in fell onto the doorstep, and that was it. No no drama, nothing. Um, and he was there, amazing. Oh, so you you had already known Dave and what he was about before he uh, joined the band, so you kind of knew what you were getting in a way. Um, kind of, but I mean, if you listen to the to the work he's done before and his his band Bullet Stampede, his vocals are very different, you know. Um, but he, he's best buds with with our drummer James. Um, they they've known each other since kids. They lived in the same town in in England. So James James was really batting for for Dave. You know, he said, look, he can really do this and. And obviously, we never heard him sing the way he did. So obviously, when he when he turned up for the show, we only did one rehearsal. But man, he, he like uh, there was a lot of old school uh, onslaught fans there, and it just blew their mind. Is like they said, well, we wouldn't really know too much difference inside if we if we closed our eyes. Like saying, this is this is really good. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're they're, they're similar, which, which was a kind of necessity for for us. Because, as you say, going back for, for people like yourselves, you want to hear the older material sound pretty much as it should. Um, so we, we kind of had this problem with Steve Grimmett when he was in the band and he was he was doing the stuff on the force. It it really didn't sound right, you know, and the fans really didn't take to that very, um, very well. Um, so we were very aware of what was needed. But but man, he just delivered on on all levels. The the, the force of them just amazing. And then obviously um, the stuff for Generation Antichrist just taken to a new level. So yeah, massive massive job he did. Really did in, in such a short space of time too. Yeah, you know the search of Sandy record. I thought it was a great record, but it was definitely a completely different sound than Onslaught because of uh, you know because of Steve's vocals and everything. You, there was no way of getting around that, but. When you go back to some of the past singers you had, I, mean, I really thought you were going to go back to Paul Mahoney or even maybe Jay Spoke. <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> the old rips, you know? I think Jace is in Australia now, so he's a little far away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, um, you know, the, the one thing about um, us is we, we never go backwards, you know. Um, or we're always looking forward, forward thinking all the time. So, no, we, we would have never gone kind of kind of um back to anybody you've been in the band before. I don't think that would that would work. Um but yeah, I mean um I mean Steve did a great job on, on Santa, you can't deny that. But um it's this as you said, it did sound very different and I love the songs on the album but I don't like the album if if you can kind of understand what I'm saying. Sure. Because it it really was an onslaught. It didn't sound like an onslaught record. But um we we did um in these recording sessions um, we recorded in Search of Sanity the track uh, with Dave, and so if you can try and imagine Dave singing that track with the, with the with the overall vibe of the mixes on the new album, uh, man, sounds so good. It really does. I'm, yeah. I'm just falling in love with the record again here, and Dave and and the production on the on the new version. It's incredible. So um, I think we're going to be planning to put it out um, maybe later in the year. Um, or early next year, once once the tour it opens up again, just just to, to put out a product, um, let people know we're back for the touring. Um, but it's it's a really good version, you know, and I, it just um, makes me want to to get everything done to that level with sanity again. 
I, I agree with you. Yeah, you know, like we waited seven years for this record. I know a lot of go. You know, people think you just spend all day sitting around, like you know, <laughs> but everybody else has lives that take, you know come into play, and it takes a little bit longer today. But this great record comes out right now. The world is in chaos, and I mean, the album kind of like you know. It's like the theme track to the way the world is today. I don't know if it was intentionally written that way or if it just all fell into place at the same time. I got, I've got a crystal ball, mate. <laughs> 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 no, I, I don't know if it's bizarre. It really is because um, we, we've never been too political before um, on any of the albums as such. But um, it was a direction I wanted to take this time because there's certain things we've been building up. But, but all of a sudden, as, as the album was due to hit, or as we kind of finish making it, everything's just gone completely insane in the world, and and it's just encapsulated so much of what's going on. It's, it's it is bizarre. It's almost like we we seen what was coming. Um, I mean, I, I finished writing. I mean, probably one of the, the most politically um, orientated tracks is "Bow Down to the Clowns." So I finished writing the lyrics for that um, end of December, um, and then the the virus thing hit in the UK. And it just made it that much more relevant again. It's, it, it's mad. I, was, um, I mean, people have been asking me, oh, did, did you complete the lyrics when the when the, the virus hit, the pandemic came? I said, like, no, they were already written. It's like, wow. Did, I, I, it's like, it's, it's a perfect backdrop for what's going on. It's crazy. I should just say, yeah, I just read it all. Just <laughs> no, it, it really is amazing because, like, you know, everything happened in the world, whether it's politics or religion, there's all things that, you know, just fall into place with the lyrics of this record. And like it says, this was done well before anything took place, but it's just so the timing going to be more perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it's a sign of big things for us, maybe. Yeah. I'm keeping my, my fingers crossed. Well, I know right now for you and every other band out there, there's no tours. There's, I mean, at least here in America, there's nothing happening live-wise. I see a little bit over in Europe, some places starting to open up again for shows. But how does that affect the band now that you have this great album that you, we've waited so long for, and you mm. really can't get out and promote it in very many places, at least not on the live front? Yeah, um, it, it's, it's, we've taken a gamble, basically. Uh, we, knew, we knew this was going to happen with the shows, and we had some... Uh, the whole year was pretty much booked up. Some amazing festivals in the summer. We had, we were just in the finalization of the U.S., Canada tour, South America tour, EU tour, uh, two festivals in the States. Um, we've lost all that. So massive, massive hit. It's been disastrous in, in those terms. But by the end of the day, we decided to put the record out. That was down to us ourselves um, at this time because we thought it would be a positive move. Um, and I still think that. Um, because it was seven years since the last album, so we needed to get product out. Um, the fans have got no festivals, no shows, nothing to go go to, so they're looking for new music, hungry for new music. So many bands have postponed their albums, which I don't quite understand, because when when this um, all blows over, which hopefully it will eventually, um, there's going to be all those bands at the same time trying to put their albums out, you know? and then they're going to be trying to get tours off their albums. Um, we tried to stay ahead of the game, get the album out, uh, and start booking shows right now on the back of the album. You know? So T- Testament put their album out, Lamb of God put their album out. Um, there was obviously strategic thinking behind that, and, and we kind of followed the same route. So hopefully we're trying to remain positive, and hopefully things are going to kick in um, say so this time next year, um, and we're we're on top of the game. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, yeah, which is just said. I never really thought about that because, yeah, there's going to be a, a rush, you know, come a few months from now where everybody's trying to get product out and go on tour. How do you think that's going to affect the live market? You know, I think 2021 is when things are really going to start to, you know, pick up shows and tours. But now you're going to have thousands and thousands of bands either rebooking from this year, looking to tour. Maybe that was going to be the first tour anyway in a while. There's going to be a gluttony of shows and bands happening all around the same time. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 one of the reasons why we put the album out, you know, just just to get just to try and jump jump ahead of everybody else. That with our products out, our products doing great. Um, let's get these shows going because people want to see the band. Whereas you've got hundreds, thousands of other bands saying, right, well, let's put our album out at the same time. The market gets saturated for them for for the album releases. Their um, their shows get affected because everybody's trying to tour at the same time. So. Um, and there was a lot of thought, and if you if you look at the the reason our, our labels that he put out, I think five albums, six albums at the most between um, June and August, and that that's very very low level um, release schedule, you know. So um, hopefully we're getting more attention from the label, more attention from the press. Um, so there, there is an upside to it as well. Um, and we just got to hope it works, you know, because if if we're in lockdown too long, it'd be cases. Okay, let's release another album, um, which we have started writing tracks for already. So uh, that's a great thing, Nigel. When you look at the whole time, you know, of onslaught, there was that break in the '90s. You know, after the search for Sandy, maybe a year or two later, the band kind of folded up for a while. But if you go back over all these decades and all these years and all these albums, how do you feel the band has evolved like to today's day? Because '82, you know, new wave of British heavy metal, even though nobody really knew what the term was back then. Uh, it was kind of like in the midst of, you know, Iron Maiden and the Sax and all those bands were starting out. You guys come about right in the middle of that, but going a whole completely different direction than the sound that those bands were creating. I mean, you guys went to a whole other level back then. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we came from a, a different side of that, really. I, I think we came from the, the kind of reaction to the, the new wave of British heavy metal, which was the, the UK hardcore punk scene, um, which, yeah. is, which is where we came from. But, um, but um, our other influences, as well as that, was was obviously Motorhead. Um, but I don't think anybody really cla- uh, considers to be part of the new wave of British heavy metal, really, um, because um, they were a completely different ball game altogether. I mean, they, they you know, in a way, they were they were uh, kind of punk innovators as well as, as being what they were. You know, um, they influenced Discharge, GBH, and uh, all the punk bands at the same time, which then went on to um, influence Metallica, Frank Slayer, ourselves, and, and all the other likes of these bands, you know. So, um, yeah, we came from a bit of a different angle and um, kind of met a little farther down the line, I would say. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's been a it's been a great journey. It really has, um, and I'm enjoying it more than ever, to be honest. Yeah, it's been an amazing evolution over time. I mean, when did you thought it was time to put things back together and get it going again? I think it was around 2003, maybe 2004 was the first time I heard you guys were kind of started up again. Yeah, um, I mean, once we split in 91, I, I think for me, it was kind of late to rest and that was it. I, I did a couple of projects after, um, which um, one of them was very cool, but it, it, it sort of fell at the last hurdle. It, it was destined for big things, and then it got the blanket got taken away from our feet, you know. So that that kind of really pissed me off, and, and ended ended me as far as music went. That was it. My guitars went under the bed, 
and I didn't pick up a guitar for for ten years until Onslaught got back together. You know, um, and the reason that was, I mean, I, we didn't even check out music, nothing to do with Onslaught. It was gone as far as I was concerned. And then uh, we we were talking in the bar one day, and somebody mentioned about the the, the first two albums had been re released in two thousand and two, which we knew nothing about. Um, so obviously then with, with the internet up and running, um, it was so easy to go and check things, and so which we did. We, we traced the label who released these albums, got in touch with them, um, completely amazed by the sales figures for for the force and power from hell what they'd re-released, and it was like wow, there's um, that much interest in the band again. It was like a serious amount of records, you know. So surfing the net, looking up onslaught. Lots of people talking about the band again. Um, so okay, <laughs> let's um, let's let's have a think about this because it ended badly. Um, so it was a chance to go and kind of put things right, um, and that's what we agreed to do. Um, and we we actually released Killing Peace with Candlelight Records, who were uh, subsidiary of the label who put out the, the two um, re-releases. So um, it all fell in place very nicely. And um, here we are now. Yeah. I mean, the first time you guys get back into the studio, you get back together to start, you know, working on things. Is it like getting back on a bike again? Everything kind of falls into place, remember? Or was it like, you know, I forgot how to play the riff to that song. You know, was it really like a lot of work trying to bring it all back again? (laughs) It was like getting on a bike, Mike, and falling straight off. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I did, anyway. (laughs) Ten years, I think. We said, okay, because it was... um, what should, we, what should we do to play? Uh, what should we do at first rehearsal? Okay, let's um, maybe Shell Shock from the Sanity album and Metal Forces. Um, okay, let's try that. It's like, wow, <laughs> I can't play this shit anymore. <laughs> Only 10, 10 years to play some 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 really heavy duty rhythm guitar. It was like, nah, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> it, it took it took a good six to nine months to get back. To a, to a really a professional level again, you know, and that was a lot of hard work. <laughs> it's surprising what you lose in ten years. Yeah, it, it is incredible. Was there any song? I mean, I had, I remember I had a band on the show. It was a classic band, and I went. To, I, I saw them play live after the interview, and one of the classic songs just didn't sound right live. And after the show, I was like, "The riff didn't sound right." He goes, "I just couldn't remember how to play it the original way." So I had to come up with a, I had to kind of you know change it, you know, the best way I could remember it. I'm like, "Did that ever happen to you where you're working on that riff?" Oh, yeah. like, just don't sound right. I just it doesn't sound like the way it used to. Yeah, there's there's lots of that. <laughs> it's like um, so it went on for years, man. This is the thing. So um, relearn all the riffs or, or how I thought they sounded, <laughs> um, and um, I think I can't remember. It was it was when we had a guitar change. I think when Andy Ross and Davis joined the band, um, he'd learned all the stuff in in advance to joining the band. So we came to rehearsal. But well, that doesn't sound right. He said, well, is you just playing it wrong, not me? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, it was just, uh, it's happened on a few occasions, but. <laughs> uh, that's funny. That's yeah. Funny. <laughs> yeah, it's happened several occasions, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Nigel, I'm not going to keep you because I know you're doing this all day long today. You've probably got a lot more. I'll no, give you a break because you can answer cool the same questions you, over and over again today. So I give you no, a break. <laughs> I, I can't wait for you guys to get back out on the road again. I hope we, the last time you were in my neck of the woods where I got to see you, Neil Turbin was uh, filling in and it was yeah, kind right. of nightmare. So, yeah, 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 yeah. so, 
I'm waiting yes, to get sir. you back in to see Dave on stage. Yeah, for sure, man. Let's do it for real next time. That sounds great. You take care, Nights. Best of luck. Uh, great job on this new record. You killed it. Thanks, man. Great talking to you, mate. You too. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. Cheers, buddy.
Hi, that was the Beast with Randall Flagg. The first time I heard of these guys was on the Born to Metalize uh, compilation album that came out. I, I guess it really wasn't a compilation. It was probably a split record back in 1984, Megaforce. It had Hades, this band, the Beast, Sneak Attack, Tortured Dog. Uh, it was really good, you know, because a lot of those bands didn't have records out at the time, and it was a nice little sample of all of them. But I heard that they had an EP out that came out before this out. Well, it probably might be the same songs. I don't even know. I have to go look it up and find out. But I know there was a compilation released about 15 or 16 years ago called The Last Bestial Incarnation, and it kind of has, like, everything that they ever did on that. So if you could find it, you know, let me know, because I think it was on some uh, record label called Old Continent Records. I'm not even sure. Uh, but I don't have that one. I do have uh, some demos by the band from the early days or rehearsal tapes, but that's about it. All right, we're going to wrap it up here tonight. I want to thank John Grell from Wintercat, Nice Rocket from Onslaught. Next Sunday night, we were supposed to have Marianne Cotton on the show, but there was a scheduling conflict, so we'll try to get that on another time. But my buddy, Brad Sinsel from TKO, is going to be calling in live next weekend. Brad's always a fun guy to talk to. A lot of great stories. So don't forget to tune in next Sunday night. And we'll have Brad Sensel on the show. How about we wrap it up here tonight with a little New Jersey metal? Let's go back to Blessed Death Meltdown. Take care, everybody. Have a great week, and I'll see you next Sunday night. Oh, baby.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.